everyone, and welcome back to the Travel and Tourism Podcast, my first season. Very special guest today because he was a geo in the 80s. He worked at Club Med Martinique as a water ski geo in May of 1987. And also, he kind of attended school in my home province of Quebec. And we're going to, I'm going to ask him all about that because I'm very curious how someone from California gets all the way to Quebec and goes to, to school here. He's from Napa Valley, California. Please give it up for my guest today, Steve McLean. Hey, Steve, how are you, sir? Hey, Greg, great to be here. Thanks thank, for doing this. No, thank you for uh, for agreeing to do this and sharing your story with us today. I'm very happy you agreed. Thank you. So uh, you want to take me back in time a bit? Well, actually, first, where did you, how old were you when you learned to water ski? Because I'm always fascinated where, where, where and when people learn or actually get the chance to water ski. So how did it happen for you? Well, there's two answers to that. I did not grow up in a water skiing family. So when I was a teenager, I, I put a ski in my foot a little bit and I figured out how to get up. But where I really learned how to water ski was at Club Med. Okay, well, hold up. Are you saying you learned on one ski or two? I, I could get up, you know, and I thought I was good. Wait, on, one, on one, one, one or two, or did you go to, you learned two, then you learned one? No, I mean, I've, I, when I was younger, I learned how to get up on one ski. Right? Are you serious? And, yeah, I mean, did that you know, was, but, you know, teenager, right? Yeah, but I know. But how did you know if you were goofy or regular? Because I was actually given the wrong, <laughs> the wrong advice from a, a, a geo water skiing. Because when I was learning one ski, she told me the wrong information. So how did you figure it out that what, what foot to put forward? I mean, you asked Steve it today, and I can tell you how to do it, how to figure it out. Back then, probably lucky guess. Right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, now I know how to do it. But yeah, yeah, she goes, oh, it's your strongest, your strongest knee goes forward, your strong leg. And since I played basketball, I'm right-handed, I'd jump off my my left, right, for a layup. But that, now that it turns out, I'm, I'm goofy, right? So, but wow, you still remember com coming out of the water in your first ski? Because that's a pretty big, uh, big moment in someone's life. <laughs> I do. You know, it, it wasn't easy. And like I said, I, my family, we had a boat, but not, you know, a tournament water ski boat. And just trying a lot and trying to figure it out. It was all self-learned. And I thought, of course, like any other teenage kid or whatever, you think you're pretty good because you can get out there and turn back and forth. But then reality set in a little bit later in life, like when I showed up at the club. Okay. Okay. We'll get into that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mentioned in your, in your intro that you, you're basically on an exchange program. Uh, this was for high school, correct? Yeah. It was after I was done with high school, but it was part okay. of a exchange program. Now, what remind me what grade you go to in high school again in, in, in the States? So in the States, we have 12 grades. So a little bit different than Quebec, you know, yeah, where we, you do we your 11 a, and then you go 11. to Cégep. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I graduated young. That, that's what happened. And I had illusions or delusions of running track in college. And so they said, go do something else for a year. So I, I signed up for an exchange program and they, they sent me to Quebec. Now, when you're saying you graduated young, what do you mean by that? Um, I was a year ahead when I graduated. So most kids graduate in the States when you're, um, when you're 18. I graduated, I got a young 17. So when I competed, I was always running against kids who were older than me. And the coaches at, you know, when I went to university said, you know, age up a year, come back. Well, now, were any of these kids you're competing against? Because I, I learned the term red shirt, which we don't, I don't think we use here. Now, were any of these red shirt kids? <laughs> no, they, they, in track and field, uh, cross country, they don't do that. Oh, okay. That's, that's a football thing. Oh, okay. Got it. Now, so how did you decide on going to school in Quebec? Or was it the choice made for you? Yeah, the choice is made for me. Because really? I signed up for it a little late. And they're like, we've got a family for you. And they're Quebec. And I just went, okay. I did oh, not know what I was getting into. And what time of the year did you arrive in Quebec? Ah, so I showed up in the early summer when it was hot and humid. Oh, perfect. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, I lived on a dairy farm. It was, um, which oh, I'd really? been on a farm before, but it was, it was, you talk about culture shock. Yeah. It was, um, <laughs> where, where about in Quebec? Uh, sorry, Steve, where about in Quebec? Well, the, the, the farm was in St. Elizabeth. And then okay. I went to, uh, and, you know, high school, Ecole Secondaire in St. Felix de Valois. Wow. Hey, your accent's pretty good, Steve. I think you were well, all, all your French, huh? Part of it. Well, yeah, it was kind of a life-changing thing because I showed up there during the time of René Lévesque and yes. I didn't speak a lick of French and oh, all boy. the kids thought I was from Ontario. So okay. for the first few days, they hated me. And long okay. story short, it was either learn or just get abused, right? That's so right. 
<laughs> so I learned. learned pretty quick. <laughs> Did you have a French Canadian girlfriend? Because that usually helps too. <laughs> there, yeah. Well, <laughs> what happened was they started out. Here's this, you know, English guy, right? And nobody <laughs> wanted to speak to me. And then, like the first week of school, they said we have this kid from California. He's here to learn about us. And I went from nobody would speak to me to everybody. Everybody sure. was coming up and you know, speaking to me and I, I couldn't understand a word they said, but you know, by Christmas I was okay. Yeah. Every Quebecer wants to live in California, Steve. That's why <laughs> California is the magic word. <laughs> wow. All right. And then from here you go to university of California, Berkeley, correct? That's correct. And you get a degree in political economy. Now, why could I ask, since I work for a university, uh, Concordia university, you could I ask why you chose that? particular degree? Yeah. I mean, I went there to do business like a lot of people who don't really know, but that university really promotes you for your first couple of years to figure out what you want to do. And I always had the international bug, right? Languages, other cultures, doing business overseas always fascinated me, even through my whole career. And so it was a natural choice. Okay, great. But you graduate and you decide, I don't know if I want to start working right away. So what what idea did you did you get after graduation? Yeah. So I graduated in December and my last year, I mean, I, I, it took me four and a half years to graduate, partially because I didn't speak English for over a year when I showed up. That wasn't helpful. And <laughs> while I was there in my last year, I grew, up with, I grew up in Napa. I grew up around wine and winemakers kids. And so a, a big wine company hired me and I, I worked for them while I was still there. And when I graduated, they said, you know, come work with us. And, and after, you know, a few weeks, I just said, no way. I, I just can't, I'm not ready yet. So I, uh, I picked up and moved to Tahoe and ended up teaching skiing at this big resort called Heavenly. And then, you mean, the, okay, you know, do you mean um, snow skiing or water skiing? Snow skiing. I, I graduated in December and it hadn't snowed yet. It was a late snow year. So I just picked up and, and went to Tahoe and the ski season was just starting right when I showed up and I ended up getting a job to teach skiing. Okay, hold up. I'm going to back you up now. So where did you learn how to snow ski? What mountain were you skiing on? Again, same kind of thing, right? I had put skis on my feet a little bit. I did not come from a skiing family. And I could ski. I could get down the hill, but I was lousy. And so uh, I showed up at Heavenly, and they were looking for instructors. And in kind of an ongoing pattern, they looked at me, and they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, you can be a teacher. And then I said, by the way, I speak French pretty good. And they're like, you're in. Because that was a destination <laughs> resort, and they needed people who could speak foreign languages. So I learned to ski while teaching it. What was the name of the where you were where you were teaching skiing? What was the name Heavenly. of the resort? Heavenly. Okay. Heavenly's pretty big. Yeah. And what? And was it? It is. Yeah, it's a big mountain. I can imagine Tahoe. being yeah, a good-looking ski instructor in the '80s at Tahoe. Yeah, it probably was Heavenly. But <laughs> one of the instructors, I guess, one day started talking to you about Club Med. Well, they, did he work for Club Med, or he just knew about Club Med? I don't know if he worked there, but, you know, he, everybody knew that when they got a, a private from a French skiing person, whatever, they'd give them over to me. And so this, this guy knew I spoke French. And at the end of the season, he said, you know, what are you going to do? And I was like, I, everybody was thinking about going to South America to teach or something of that nature. And I said, I don't know, I'm looking for a job. And he goes, you speak French. And he, I guess he knew Club Med, maybe he'd been there, but between the French and then knowing how to teach, and then while I was at Cal, I was in the band and I did all that kind of stuff. He said, you should go check out Club Med. And I think they helped me find a, a phone number and I, I made a call. Now, where's the, uh, where was the call? Was it the East Coast, West Coast? I think it was an East Coast number. And uh, I ended up getting a call back and invited to an interview. Where? And the long story short, the dude who interviewed me had taken a break from being a chief of the village and was going to do one more season. So he inter interviewed me and he had some very special needs for his season. Well, wait, 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 where, me. wait, where was your interview? I think I came down to San Francisco. Okay. So I came down the mountain and yeah, interviewed him in San Francisco. Do you recall the name of this person? Oh, of course. I mean, he's one of my favorite people, Michel Verdure. Okay. Was it more of like a one-on-one? -on -one? Did they make you do anything, tell jokes, or were they just, was this just a talking interview? Like, tell me how, what was it like, that interview? So realizing it was going to be teaching water skiing, I had brought with me some pictures of me water skiing, right? And they were 
now I look back and they're laughable, but I had a certification that I'd gotten from snow skiing. I obviously could show them that I was, I could speak French, right? I wasn't native, but I was okay. And then, so I brought this whole story of, I teach skiing, I speak French, I'm good on water skiing, which I was not. And then I knew something about the fact this guy told me they like people who can, you know, play music and be on stage and that kind of stuff. I did when I was in university. So I told him the whole, uh, this whole story. And he said, well, that's, that's all great. We don't have a spot, but we'll, we'll let you know. He, uh, this Michelle must've been impressed that, you know, you a Californian spoke French, right? I think it's always, that was again, a kind of common thing that followed me around even today that nobody expects you to speak a foreign language if you're from California. So they always get the question of, you know, why do you speak this language? And I had a, I had a Quebecois accent, but I was also taught how to, how to try to speak proper Parisian. So they ask you these questions and, you know, you just tell them the story. Were, were there really that, that many French at the Heavenly Resort? That would Not, Well, instructors know, but Heavenly, this is the early 80s, right? In, in 82 is when I showed up at Heavenly. And it was a, you know, South Tahoe and Heavenly is right in South Tahoe. There were three places you could really gamble in the West, right? Reno, Vegas, and Tahoe. So I taught skiing during the day um, at Heavenly. And then at night, I worked in this fancy schmancy um, casino. I mean, sorry, I worked in a fancy schmancy restaurant in a casino called Caesars Tahoe. And back then, that was a big time destination. You know, people flew in from all over the world to gamble and go to shows and then and then ski. And, and so that's why we did have some international people who'd show up. Okay, interesting. Now, from about how much time from the interview did you get a call to say that, you know, where, where you were going, like to Martinique? How was it weeks, months? It was pretty quick, right? Really? Um, probably a few weeks. And uh, he told me um, what he was doing. And then, again, it's another story, but the way a lot of this came to light after 35 years is during the pandemic, some of us started Zooming who hadn't talked to each other in, in years. And Michelle, the chief, joined our Zoom call. Oh, wow. And he, he told us the whole story of how he picked us. And he had told the club he was done, um, but he agreed to do one more season. But the deal was he got to choose his whole team. And he wanted a lot of first season Americans. So I don't know enough about the club to know if this is real or not. He, you know, he, he told us this and he's now, you know, well out of the club and does something else, but he joined us a number of times and told us his story. And that's how I got picked. Well, also the fact that you now Martinique is uh, very French. So that makes sense that, you know, plus you get, you get Americans too. So that would probably be uh, the perfect uh, village for you and, and for water ski. It's a pretty uh, water ski, heavy, heavy resort, right? Yeah, that, that, that might come in another part of the conversation, but the clientele was a very interesting, it's difficult to get to Martinique from anywhere in the U.S., mm, especially yeah. from the West, right? It, you can get there from Quebec, but it took me five legs to fly there from, from California. Yeah, I was so, going to ask you that because it was long for me and I'm from Montreal, so I was going to ask yeah. you how, how long, do you remember, like, do you remember that flight? Leaving San Francisco, Chicago, yeah, San Francisco, Chicago, Miami, Haiti, Guadeloupe, and then finally Martin. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> but the point now is that your clientele there were really the people who came in um, from New York on the charter or people who flew in from Paris and, and, and Europe. So it was a very, I mean, we get into fun. That was half the fun, watching these two cultures kind of coexist. Wow, this is crazy. Okay. So do you remember like arriving that first week? Do you like, what do you remember from your first season? Was, uh, were you in culture shock at all? Or was it like <laughs> try to process everything? Do you, do you remember like uh, certain details? I remember, I mean, from the day I got there, just, I, I walked out of the, the bus, whatever, very tired, right? Been doing all those legs. And then when you walk into Martinique, um, again, we, this, a lot of this came up because we were just back there. A group of us who were doing these Zoom calls went back. So I was just there a couple of months ago. But when 35 years ago, when we showed up, there's this little arch. You get off the bus and you can just see the ocean and you can see water ski boats going back and forth. And I just stepped, stepped off the bus and said, I'm in heaven, right? I mean, this is just absolutely perfect. 
the teams hadn't changed over really yet. I, I don't know if Michelle was there yet. My chief of sport, I mean, very few people were there and I was one of early in on the new team. But somebody greeted me and it was in the afternoon, if I remember correctly. And they said, oh, you're Steve, right? And I'm like, yeah. And they go, we hear you don't mind being on stage. That was like one of the first things I got. And I was, yeah, okay. And they're <laughs> like, great. We need you to show up at this time in the, um, you know, in the theater. We're going to have you learn a skit. You'll do it tonight. And I just kind of went, okay. And it, it just sort of took off from there, right? I got involved with everything. Were you a good dancer? Uh, it's one of, again, <laughs> one of these things where I was in a band in college and it's, you know, the big university band kind of things. And we did not just run around halftime of football shows, but we did a lot of other stuff. And this one adds to another. We played for the Queen of England. And when we played for the Queen of England, we did a show with the San Francisco Ballet when the Queen came to town. And the payback was uh, choreographers from the ballet were going to come and teach us like basic dance stuff, it's not just ballet, but other. So we could use them in these shows we were doing. So I'd had some training and I kind of knew how it worked, but I would not call myself a dancer. Okay, Steve, hold up. Because when I asked you for, <laughs> when I asked you for fun facts, you completely omitted that you had a performance for Queen Elizabeth. Okay, now hold up. Are you saying you were in a marching band at Berkeley? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? What, what, yeah, you Cal's a big band, right? You know, USC what, what, and all what that instrument, stuff. What instrument did you play? Mainly on the field trumpet. And then oh. indoors, I played some percussion. Okay, but so how trumpet. does it happen? Okay, when, when did the Queen visit California? Ish? Oh, God. Um, she brought the baton. She came on the Britannia, and that probably yes. would have been around 83. Okay. Now, so how was it? How was a marching band from Berkeley chosen to play for the Queen? So, like, yeah, she, the Britannia does, no, not a contest. Um, the Britannia does a protocol in San Francisco, right? And they want to roll out the red carpet and do all this stuff for the Queen. So, one of the things that they do is they, they say, we're going to have her go to a performance of the San Francisco Ballet, right? Yes. And so they want to do this Americana thing. And believe it or not, there is a John Philip Sousa ballet. And so we went and practiced with the San Francisco Symphony and, you know, obviously indoors, not in some football stadium, but we did indoor stuff too. you know, uniforms and marching and all that. But there we helped them choreograph and put together this ballet performance for the Queen. And then the cool thing was, is that the Queen and the Prince and Reagan, who was also there, they really liked it. And they, at, they invited us back the next day to come to the Britannia and play again for them. Oh, come on, uh, Steve. This is insane. Yeah, this is the cool. most, most interesting fun fact any XGO said, and you <laughs> completely thought this wasn't interesting or fun. Okay, so you're saying you went aboard the Britannia? Not aboard. Britannia is really small, right? But we, you know, the they the port? We had to go. Sorry. Yeah. It was like down at a dock, but okay. it was all secure. We had to get sniffed and, and, you know, I mean, the security then wasn't as crazy it would be now, but, uh, the, you know, we played and there was kind of a rope line and, and the queen sort of stayed away and waved, but the prince came up, shook our hands. And then Reagan was there, you know, cause Reagan was governor of California and he came down and, Oh, I love Berkeley and which that's another story, but yeah, it was, um, it was really so you, interesting. You shook Prince Philip's hand. I did. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. And he was a delight, man. He was fantastic. I'm sorry, listeners. This is Steve's fault. Okay. I know we were talking <laughs> about his first season, but he did not tell me any of this on our phone call or in the, uh, you know, the, the stuff I asked him to fill out. Okay. All right. So, okay. This is wild. So I, I'm going to, I could go on, but I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop here. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, the, so here's the basics, right? It okay. taught me like when we were in the band and we did stuff and, and th let's get back to the club, but what I learned on the band is that you know, you're playing performances sometimes like 70 80,000 seat stadiums right with television and this is the early 80s and the tv would would televise the halftime show and it was drilled into us is that if you make a mistake own it right don't look like the band guy that got lost so that takes me all the way through to club mad and doing stuff ah. on stage ski shows and all that just own it right and just forget you know it, it, it made it easy so it's easy for me to do that stuff okay so when you messed up an eight count on stage like you forgot to pivot here or pas de bourree there you just like oh, you, instead of like acting sheepishly and hanging your head you you stayed in you stayed in it right yeah 
Okay. Any of it. Nobody knows. Right? And plus, right. people aren't like, I paid a hundred bucks for the seat. They're just happy you're there. <laughs> that's right. Would have played a lot to uh, to play for the queen. That's for sure. Okay. <laughs> that would have been a couple of hundred. All right. Wow. Okay. This is incredible. Now, okay, I'll, I'll try and get back to Club because I'm still reeling about Queen and Prince Philip. When you had your interview with Michelle, did they did he mention that you would get no days off or you already knew that before you interviewed? It wasn't mentioned. And to be honest, that was the same life I was living up in Tahoe. You know, you teach every day. I worked all day skiing and worked all every almost every night, you know, working in this fancy ass restaurant speaking French. So it just didn't really matter. But no, you know. Okay. Now I'm sure you were getting tips as a Tahoe ski instructor. Uh, were you allowed to take tips back then? <laughs> at club? You got some in Tahoe, but really the tipping, from what I understand, we got tipped at copper, right? And that's another season, but it was expected. And I think that was the only thing, as far as I know, the only geo service where you were allowed to take tips and we got tipped really well. Okay. Now, did, like, did you like Martinique, like the uh, the the site of Martinique and the les, les deux pitons and all that? Did you did you get a chance to see a bit of the island? It's a, it's a beautiful island, no? It's yeah. I mean, obviously, and and this just came back. Um, it's a beautiful island. The ocean is absolutely gorgeous. The we didn't get many days off, right? So you didn't really you no, couldn't you got, really not, go you and got, take you it. Got, you had no days off back then. <laughs> no days off in Martinique, none. Right. Exactly. Um, and so you couldn't go take excursions and things of that nature. But I had a boat. I spoke French. If you know the geography of Martinique, remember 35 years ago, somebody who just went back, you know, like a month ago and looked at what had changed. The club was really almost by itself. We had a much larger area to water ski in. We had a much air, big area to barefoot in. And if somebody needed to do something like go see a doctor or whatever, they would usually come to me and say, take me across to whatever it's called, St. Anne or St. Moran or whatever. And so I got to see a little more, but we were pretty much bound to the village. Okay. Now, was your room in the the, the Tour de Pore there? Or do you remember where your room was? Uh... We kind of, it's funny, you discovered this. Like when we were just back, everybody's running around and like trying to find out where their room. My room was not in Tour de Pore. My room was in some other, you know, rando building. And I think the decision was my building had been torn down. I remember my roommate and I think, you know, as the season went, if, you know, the room sometimes got redistributed due to, you know, pecking order or whatever they had available. So I remember having a nice room, but I think it was gone when we just went back. Okay. All right. What else do you remember from that first seat? Like, did you arrive? Uh, did you get a nickname while you were there? Uh, was there two Steves that you had to be someone else or, or you were the only Steve? <laughs> I was the only Steve. And, and there, when you talk about, it was just the season we had, and I'm sure this is true with all seasons. It, it's just an on, ongoing joke. I mean, or an ongoing, not joke, but just gags all the time. And so, yeah, they give you this little pin that, you know, you're supposed to wear. And it said, Steve Waterski, right? And so people would walk up and they're like, um, oh, Steve. And they're like, what's your last name? And I go, Waterski. And they're like, oh, Steve Waterski. Okay, and what do you do, Steve? And I'd go, I waterski. <laughs> and it never got old, right? Okay, it so was, they, thought, they, thought, they thought you were Polish because of your last name. Waterski, right? Okay. Because the buttons say big Steve and little tiny letters, this is Waterski, right? And so, no, I didn't have a... You know, what some of the cool nicknames that other geos had? Nah, I didn't, I didn't have any of that. Okay. And I'm guessing uh, since you, you lived in Quebec and, you know, you taught French uh, skiing, I'm, um, I'm guessing you didn't have any culture shock in Martinique because I'm pretty sure if you hadn't had that exposure to both uh, nationalities, you probably would have, right? Well, remember, so there's a couple of things, right? I showed up brand new and, and some of these things were just hilarious, but Early on, they said, hey, Steve, can you do the whole stage thing? I was like, yeah, okay. And they're like, well, come back here. And they, they taught me the skit, right? And the skit was, if you know it, Les Pissotières. I don't know uh, if you know that oh, one. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I was the straight guy, right? And so okay. um, they taught me that. And then they, they're like, oh, be backstage. And, you know, we'll put on a costume, makeup. And I'm like, okay. And I'm just, it's like my first day. I'm just meeting these people. And so I go backstage and people are like, naked or halfway there because at that point in time they didn't have lockers or dividers or men and women or this and that it was very you know european and you're meeting these people for the first time yep. and uh you know 
clothing optional when necessary. And I didn't sit there and stare, but I went, yeah, okay, you're in Europe now. And yeah, I was in Quebec and I spoke some French, but they weren't French people. You know, they're North Americans who speak French. So, and, but I had traveled in Europe a bit, but, you know, probably the first day culture shock a little bit was, okay, this is how this works here. And then it just, you know, that became part of the daily entertainment for me sitting at a table with like three guys from Brooklyn and a family from Paris and, or we grew from Paris and maybe the people from Europe were sitting there topless and you had these three guys out of Brooklyn yeah. just staring. Right. And, well, yeah. and I, I could teach, I could speak to both of them. So well, that was that, like, that was daily. it. Like, uh, yeah. Martinique in the, in the eighties, like women would just wear a pario or, and go topless. Right. I mean, like, yeah. that's, that's what I hear and it's totally normal. And, <laughs> and you get over it very quickly. Right? Oh yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Like you can't have too much of a good thing. I, I do believe that. <laughs> Unfortunately, that happens to people. Yes. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Now, I'd like to veer off a little bit. Now, okay, we can't go, obviously, we can't go into detail this next question because uh, since you were in Martinique in 87, now I've always heard the stories that uh, when New Yorkers came to Martinique, first thing they did, they did when they got off the plane was say, where do I sign up for the picnic? Uh, they didn't care about the room. They didn't care about their luggage. They just wanted to know where do I sign up for the picnic. So is this true? Well, I wasn't a picnic guy. No, right? no, no. But um, you were there so when they had the picnics in March. I was there when I had the picnics. I only okay. got to go a few times. Um, okay. Yeah, and mind you, you know, I'm not asking for details. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I've always heard that. But so you don't, so you didn't personally didn't hear about any like New Yorkers wanting to sign up for the picnic as soon as they well, got off the plane, right? Here's what would happen, right? And I guess I call it like what could I call it? Like story inflation. So what I mean is you start the summer season in, in, in May, right? And you get the first group of folks from, from New York. And I'm not picking on New Yorkers, but oh, no. you know, at a JFK, they had, I think, up to two charters a week. Yeah. So a lot would, would, would come in. And there was a lot of cops, um, a lot of blue-collar folk. And so the first week, you know, a, a group would show up. And then maybe two weeks later, friends of the group that showed up a couple of weeks ago would show up and they'd like, no, oh, you're the water ski guy and, and, and whatever. So by the time you get into later summer, I mean, the, the stories, because everybody has to go home and tell a story, right? And so they, they have this expectation that all this crazy stuff is going on and then they take it and they inflate it. So by the end of the season, you know, they're telling these stories about all this nutty stuff that went on. Now, some of it did. But <laughs> these guys would show up, and yeah, and they they have these crazy expectations, and that this or that and the other thing would happen, and you'd sort of talk them off it. So yeah, keep, yeah. Keep, their, keep their expectations low, kind of, right? Well, just you know, ish. Keep it within reason, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the stuff you brought from New York, leave it in your suitcase. Um, you know, stuff of that nature. <laughs> yes. And I got to spend a lot of time with them because. I mean, we were in and out of the boats. I was on the ski dock. A lot of people water skied. Many, more, and then we had much more. Today, the water ski area. I was shocked. Is just a, a sea of moored sailboats. We had none of that there. Oh, really? So, oh, none. We had that whole beach. Oh, wow. Uh, up and God. down, and then around the point, um, we could barefoot, right? And so it was a very different place. And the point is, people would come out and hang on the dock all day, and you can just chat with them, and get to know them. So, so you had turn. none of that because when I was there, when I was there in 98, 99, that was the most heavily trafficked waterway I've ever seen. Oh, like, it's crazy. So when you there, were there, I, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. No. I mean, when I just went back there again in, yeah? in June, Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I, yeah. A bunch of us again from the whole zoom call thing. We, we, we went there like in June. I hadn't been there in 35 years. I walked out and looked at the ski dock and I was aghast. <laughs> I mean, just you have got to be crazy because there's all those boats and you couldn't get yeah. away from the waves and the, pl the planes and the <laughs> and they put up this uh, this object day art like right in our wind up area for right. our barefoot show and ski show. They put this big thing out in the water. Okay. Yeah, and I was like, and I I asked, is that like a monument to the people who've died hitting the monument? <laughs> it was no, well, very different, and yeah. so. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> a lot of people came out and they'd hang out all day in the dock and you'd get to know them. And it was, a uh, it, it was fun. So, okay. Back up a bit. So you're saying that the crew that you zoomed with over the pandemic, you, you guys said, Hey, why don't we go? How many, how many of you went to Martinique from those zoom calls? 
So a couple dozen. Are you serious? Um, and this was yeah. like people from your, you would Zoom with people from your first season at Martinique? Yeah, it just looked, wow. again, Pretty because we cool. had this concentration of, I don't know, you know, relative, but we did have a concentration of first season Americans and we, a, a bunch of us bonded. And then it's not like we talk all the time, yeah. but, you know, during the throes of the pandemic, we're all sitting around and some of them started emailing and then we said, hey, let's get on a Zoom call. And you know, it's great to see people you hadn't seen in decades. And it just picked up from there and, and more and more people joined, you know, including the chief of the village, right? How special was that? And uh, eventually we said, hey, guys, let's, let's try to go. And, and, and we did. Wow. That's, that's, that's incredible, man. This is, jeez. Uh, All right. I got so much to ask you. Now, what's the fun? Give me a funny story because you taught beginners water skiing. And I've, I've, I've heard a few from Water Ski Josie. Do you recall a GM in particular that struggled or any, any funny instances happened while you were teaching water ski at Martinique? Well, okay, there, there's a couple of things that's, that sound as exceptional. And I'll tell you about, you know, that in a moment. It has to do with the famous person, too, which I think you like. Oh, yes, I about. do. I love celebrity but, encounters. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, every, again, remember the clientele. A, a lot of people from Brooklyn, the Bronx, Queens, you know, um, Manhattan, what have you, would show up, not water skiers, but they would be with big groups of, of their friends, you know, men and women. And what are they, they love to show off, right? So, you know, you would teach them and we did a lot of teaching there. And, and you know, my opinion, and I think the people I worked with, we, I, I can't think of anybody in Martinique, to be honest, that I didn't get up because we would take the time to make sure that we'd keep working with them one way or the other. And yes, yeah, some of them were, you know, not great, but I, you know, we had those big balloony skis and we'd go slow and we could take our time. Again, I'm not, I know times change. When I was in Martinique, I, I said, hey, you know, can I get time to go find some flat water? And they wanted money. And I was like, wow, okay. That, you know, that's part of the academy or something of that nature. I think that's fine. You know, times change. But when we were there, that's not the case. And so we could take the time to get everybody up. And sometimes, you know, people would fall. You have to bring them back in the boat. And sometimes you'd spend a lot of time with them, but you wouldn't go very far, right? You're going very slowly. But yeah, every day we had folks trying to get up and we'd just figure out a way. All right. Now, are you saying you had a celebrity show up at your water ski dock? So, yeah, I mean, it depends. Okay. So one of the most fun times I had there, and, and this sort of went on in the time, was a kid showed up. He was like six foot 10. And he ended up, I mean, I'll, I'll sort of jump to the end of the story. Who mm-hmm. was he? He was a guy named Brian Williams, played in the NBA for, for years, changed his name to um, Bison DeLay because um, he was half African-American, half Cherokee. And, and in his older age, he wanted to um, change his name to a Cherokee name. But at this time, he had just graduated high school and he, had, he was going, coming home from playing in the World University Games. So he came and he had all this, you know, Team USA stuff. And he's a really smart, engaging young man, right? And right away, he came out to the dock. And, you know, he kind of sticks out, right, at that kind of height. And so I immediately went up to him and I said, you want to learn to water ski? He said, yeah, yeah, I really want to learn. It's like, okay, I, I can't pull you today. I'll, I'll dry land you today because I got to make him some skis. You know, I had to go and get a big pair of skis and move the bindings because his feet were like size 16 or 17. Okay. <laughs> so that endeared him to me. And that week also, I was um, Olympic team, Olympic day team captain, right? Ooh, yeah. So of course I'm scheming already. Oh, this dude's going to be in my team and I'm going to have fun with him. So I taught him a water ski and, and we hung out quite a bit. And then um, for Olympic day, I mean, obviously I'm going to have him play basketball, but he was a very good sport. And I said, uh, I want you to come late, like just wearing some street clothes you know, and sit at the end of the bench and I'm going to coach the basketball game because it used to be that basketball was like one of the big kind of finale events and just sit on the end of the bench and, and, and don't do anything. And then when I, you know, when I call you into the game to sort of be like me, what? Okay. And so he just sat there and then, you know, like halfway through the first half or whatever, I kind of pointed at him. It's like, okay, you can go in and he pulls off his stuff and he's got this red, you know, I was red team, red team USA jersey and shorts. And the guy's 6'10". And I said, start slow and then just just beat the heck out of him. So he did that. And, you know, the, it, it was it was a good time. But what was better was we had to do the show after. 
and I got the uh, costumier. We made him a pink tutu, right, for um, Swan Lake. And we got him in a pink tutu. And then I don't know if you, everybody probably knows the whole Swan Lake GM thing, right? You get him in yeah. swim fins and a mask. And he was like the, the dying swan or whatever. And he was such a good, good sport. He went along with it, right? And had a great time. So while he's doing this and we're all dying, you know, there was no cell phones and whatnot, but the village photographer was taking a ton of pictures. And so I, I went and got some of the pictures, right? And I had his picture of Brian Lins. And again, he's, he's going to be a freshman at Maryland at that point in time. Nobody ever knew he was going to be an NBA star or what have you. So I got this picture of him, you know, some pictures of him dressed up doing Swan Lake, tutu, swim fins, mask, all that kind of stuff. He ended up transferring to the University of Arizona. And my school, Cal, played Arizona. And this was a few years after I had finished Club Med. I was back. So I went to some of them. And he, so he came with the team to play Cal, you know, big game, big stadium and all that in basketball. And I went to some of my friends who were still in the band. I said, hey, man, they're star player. I got this picture. And I showed them. And we blew up the pictures, the, like poster size of him. And he's like their starting center, like an all-American you know, huge star. I blew up these pictures of him in a tutu with swim fins and the mask. And we have him on these poles, maybe like 10 or a dozen of them. And, you know, he'd come out, we'd wave these signs around and, you know, everybody would laugh and this and that. And it was, it was hilarious. And after the game was over, um, being that band, we could walk on the floor and I walked up to him and I didn't know if he was going to pop me or laugh. And he was fantastic. He just pointed me and said, I knew it was you. He's like, that was fantastic. You know, I love it. And then of course he ran off and finished that and then went to the NBA and became a, won a couple of rings with the Bulls. So that's a funny story. And it's kind of a um, famous people one. Wow. No, oh, that's, that's an incredible story that he, uh, that he remembered you and yeah, didn't uh, pop you one right there. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, how many times are you his size? Uh, yeah. Wearing- yeah, two two and swim fins. Yeah, and the odds that you know you go to Berkeley after Club Med, he's an hour, you know, he shows up there. So you kind of had to do that, right? Oh, well, I mean, he was a big star, right? Arizona was a top ranked team. He was their big star, and I just went, oh yeah, I I, I can get this guy. <laughs> yeah, who, who knew? I mean, yeah, the fact that you held on to those photos, of course, you had to do it. <laughs> wow, that's a pretty cool story, Steve. Jeez, okay, wow. I would like to transition a little for you because I'm wondering what it's like to leave, you know, the crystal blue azure waters of Martinique in the summer. And then you decide to go to copper in the freezing cold minus whatever temperature it is up there to do it, to be a ski instructor. Did you personally ask for copper or did you follow someone there? Oh yeah. I mean, so I, as soon as I figured out what the club was, I had a plan, right. That I wanted to, you know, do whatever it took, you know, to do well at Martinique and get recommended to go to copper. And then I wanted to go and do another, you know, summer village that had a course, um, a water ski course. So I was, you know, thinking ahead. So I made it very clear to um, Chief Michelle that that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, he really helped me out. And then plus, you know, I had a low level certification. I did speak French. I was a club med guy. So I absolutely wanted to go to Copper and, you know, they accommodated me, which was great. Who was your chief of village in Copper? First season guy named Jean-Pierre Grand. Oh, yeah. He was my uh, first season chief when I was in Turks. Okay. All right. Cool. See, we have that in common. Yeah. I mean, like, there's a, a, probably if we start going down names, I mean, there's a number of people who were there in Martinique that a few ended up having lengthy careers. But uh, yeah, Jean-Pierre Cron was my uh, chief of the village. And then um, chief of ski was Daniel Lamy-Chapuis, who I think, you know, stuck around for uh, a while as well. Oh, you're saying that there's people in Martinique that that names we might recognize that well, continued on? Yeah, of course. Uh, um, like who? Like who? Well, I, I think you probably know her now as Angie Boucher. Probably back then. Oh, she yeah. Herself Angie Boucher, oh. But she was, I think she was in like her second season or something. Yeah. She was, it wasn't, she wasn't first season, but she was early. And yeah, yeah. she had a long and distinguished, you know, yeah. club career. Yeah, I worked, I worked for her in paradise. Yeah, she, uh, uh, Turks and Caicos was her first season. And then, so yeah, she probably went to uh, Martinique right after that. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, was, she, was she doing there? Was she hostess or fitness? She was a hostess. And okay. um, she's one of the first people I met because obviously she's really engaging and friendly. And then we figured out that she grew up in a in kind of a small Bay Area town. And my family, the family business I grew up in was was right there. And so, you know, she said, I'm from Pinole. And I was like, oh, God, I kind of grew up in Pinole. And boom. Oh, you know, this guy and that guy. And so, yeah, Angie and I 
you know, became friends right away at the beginning. And then, I mean, I went and visited her, I think when I had a newborn down at Paradise, you know, uh, many, many, many years later. And then she was supposed to join us there when we went back in June, but uh, her flight got canceled, which was tragic. So she didn't uh, get to join us. Oh, that's too bad. Now, your copper, uh, did you like that season at copper? Oh, yeah. I mean, how can you not, right? Well, copper in 87, what could go wrong, right? Yeah, it was a little bit different vibe, obviously, because, um, you know, at, at Copper, they have a mini club and kids and a lot of families. But the facility itself, and again, if nobody knows it, that's now employee housing at Copper, but the facility was just right there in the mountain. Conditions are fantastic. The cheat, you know, I, I, there weren't many Americans who spoke French. We had tons of French instructors. That was no big deal. But the chief of the village, I wanted to go get certified um, in another higher level of certification while I was there. And so he let me go every Sunday and train with the, um, with the Vail Ski School to get ready and, and take the certification. So I kind of had like a day off situation there. I had my car. So, and, and then the other thing, which was nice, rattling on here, but about six or seven of us from Martinique went to Copper, including, you know, a person who's, you know, a friend of mine for life, Suzanne, Back then it was a Devasto, now it's a pair. She was like learning to be the choreographer in Martinique, and then she was the choreographer in Copper. So I knew all her stuff, right? So it was easy, easier for me to go and be in the shows and do that whole thing. And, and not a lot of ski instructors, some did, but not a lot of ski instructors did that. So I embraced it. I had a good time. And then um, that kind of set me up for where I wanted to go the next season. Any, uh, any fun stories from Copper? Uh, funny appropriate, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> I got. I, I, I'd be careful when talking to you, '80s guys, okay? Because I know you. Uh, any of your stories could outdo like ten of mine. So, uh, no. yeah. And any, <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> so, did anything cool happen? Interesting. Something that was not funny then, funny now. Uh, rookie mistakes. Well, I mean, interesting thing was, yes, and this yes. kind of goes in almost into the famous people again, but probably a different track than you're used to. The the ski chief Danielle, he was there with his wife, I believe, and. Yeah, she was his wife and a young boy. And that young boy, I think, was maybe three or four years old. And he used to um, follow us around with these little plastic skis all the time. Right. Well, that young boy ended up becoming a multiple World Cup champion and Olympic gold medal, Jason Lemmy Chapuis, which was, you know, I mean, you look at this little kid and kind of remember him falling around dragging these little skis and he grows up into an Olympic gold medalist. That was sort of satisfying to, you know, to see later in life. But, um, the, the funniest thing that we did was... Uh, wait, wait, can I, can I just yeah, ask sure. a question about the chief? So um, did he get a gold medal for France? Yeah, he competed because his mother was from Montana. And then okay. Danielle, his father, was French and he competed for France. Right? Now, what, 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 what discipline? Downhill, I guess? Mobiles? No, I mean the hard one, Olympic combined, right? The oh, jumping really? And the, uh, the, the cross country. Yeah. Whoa. Super impressive. Oh, that's, that's incredible. Okay, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. okay, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you going to say? No, no, no. Okay. No, not at all. But the, you know, the funniest stuff we used to do was, uh, you know, we had an animator everywhere. We had an animator in, in, um, in Copper, and he was the same guy who was there. His name was Titus, and I think he was from Montreal, actually. He was the same. He was there briefly when I first showed up in Martinique, and then, you know, the rest of the team left. And, but I had met him. I kind of knew who he was, and he sort of knew who I was because I had, the, you know, the weird Quebec thing. And so... Sometimes, especially on the weeks I had kids, the kids would wrap up early and I'd have extra time on my hands. So he'd have us go out on the slope and do, and this is copper, right? This is like an open ski area that had two sets of ski schools. It's very odd, right? You had the, the PSIA, the American ski instructors, and then you had the Ecole de Ski Francais, you know, the, the, um, the, the Club Med ski school. But this is the early 80s. So we used to go out and do this stuff with an animator and things like he'd put me in a box, like a refrigerator sized box where you, all you could see was a box. And I'd cut a little slit out from where I could see. And then he'd be dressed up in like coveralls. And, and there was like a broken rope on the box. And then he'd be holding a broken rope. And I'd go flying on the slope and he'd be screaming, look out, look out. Like he was, you know, like he was bringing this big box up. And people who were the, who weren't Club Med guests, they didn't get in on the joke, right? So they would be, you know, freaked out. And they'd watch this box go flying by and you couldn't see a guy under it. And then, and then, you know, teachers would go by and make everybody move out of the way. 
we would do it with a moose and a hunter. I mean, we were, we, he was very clever. Um, and so we got to do a lot of that stuff where I'm sure it just made the regular paying public wonder what the heck was going on. And then when we'd stop, we had these uh, Boda bags full of booze and we'd, you know, be around and give everybody booze, which things today, you can imagine that going on, but it's a different time and place. That's right. Oh, exactly right. Wow. Sounds like you had some fun there, Steve. I'm not going to lie to you, sir. And then from Copper, so I guess you get your, your plan work because you wanted to do two, two, two resorts on the sea and one, one ski village. So Cancun, you go to Cancun in 88, correct? Yeah, 87, 88. Yeah. Well, Copper, yeah, Copper was 87, 88. And then Cancun, you, you put uh, 88. Who was your chief of village in Cancun, if I might ask? Um, it started out with um, Jean-Pierre Rock. And then, uh, then he left, and Francois Venin came in. Okay. Do you like Cancun? Um, well, Cancun as a facility is is just fantastic, right? And yeah. back then we had the course, and I really wanted to, you know, master the course. And you know, going back, I had mentioned that I wasn't much of a skier when I showed up, water skier when I showed up at the club, and my chief of water ski who showed up, Canadian guy, um, Graham Williams. He just like drilled me and the others, but you know, he, I, I showed up, dude watched me ski. He took my ski and like threw it in the corner and pointed me toward those big, like big white balloony jump skis. And he's like, you will be on those until I say differently. And you have two weeks to learn to ski to my, you know, capability, my expectations and drive the way I want you to drive or you're gone. And so that just started this process of, you know, every morning you go out and you ski with them. Then the noontime, you do the show stuff. And then the afternoon, maybe the barefoot stuff. And then you go to the shows at, at Cancun. By the time I got there, I could ski. But the one thing we didn't have in Martinique was a, a course. And I really wanted to be able to do that and teach that. And was Albert there at that time? <laughs> Albert, of course. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. Man, how, just, old, like, how old is be... that? How old is that thing? <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah, I used to have fun with Albert because, you know, he would lay out, not only would he live under the restaurant and they'd throw him turkeys on Sunday, but yeah. sometimes he, he would like lay out on the lawn. That's right. And uh, yeah, you've you probably done it, right? Arrivals would show up and they think it's phony, yeah. you know, and then you'd be like, <laughs> look at his nose and, you know, the little flaps go up and down and then they'd scream and run the other way, which again, more fun for us. You know, That's right. <laughs> That's right. At the expense of the <laughs> the guest. So Cancun, yeah. So you had the uh, you water skied on the you had the lagoon side, you had the ocean side. It was like a perfect spot, right? Well, we never used. We didn't ever ski uh, in the ocean. Right? No, we just no. But used... I'm saying as a, as a resort. Oh whoever, yeah. Whoever whoever planned that resort picked a good spot is is what I meant because hey, we can yeah. water ski here. We're gonna go sailing and windsurfing on this side. You know, it, it to me when I did Cancun, I thought, wow, this. This is very well placed. Whoever, you know, I guess, I guess Cancun was one of the first hotels on that strip. Cause if you look at old photos, you know, of Cancun, you don't see the, you know, the, the hotels that you see now. I don't know if you've ever been back uh, to Cancun, but. Um, yeah. I mean, Cancun was on the end of what they call it Punta Nazuc and there was nothing yes. else out there, right? Yeah. Nothing. Um, that was all open. And yeah, the facility, like I said, was, was spectacular. I mean that, you know, going out and skiing in that lagoon and, yeah, we, we would go there early in the morning and run the boats back and forth and, and the crocs would like disperse and then we'd never see them again for the rest of the day. I'm, I mean, I'm very sad to hear that they, they're not skiing there anymore because um, yeah. it was uh, it was a great place. Yeah. Who's your chief of sports in Cancun? Do you remember? Uh, it was a guy named Jacques. And I just, yeah, to be honest, I remember some of the team. In fact, one of the guys, I think, who stayed around for a long time and is still there, I think, owns a water ski school there was Scott Smith. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Yep. I think he was in his second season. Oh, okay. Um, and we had boat issues that year. So it was, uh, he worked hard to try to keep stuff taped together. But uh, yeah, I think Jacques was his name. But I mean, I really knew the chief of sports um, in Martinique much better. So I'm not so sharp on that name. Who was, uh, who was the chief of sport in Martinique again? Oh, Frank Labatt. Okay. Frank, Frank Labatt. Labatt. I mean, again, the whole sports team is just great guys there. Right. And um, yeah, he was, the, he was the dude. Any funny stories from Cancun? Well, yeah, I mean, there's another, you talk about you know, showing up and, uh, you know, I talked about at Martinique, I showed up, but probably one of the best is from somebody, you know, 
funny and just culture shock was uh, shortly, and I'm going to go back to Martinique because it's just more fun. The I showed up and I had gotten kind of read the riot act from my chief of water ski, Graham, who again, fantastic guy um, and taught me to ski. And so I, I skied this morning. It's love the sport, but so I'm very nervous about, okay, I've got to really do this right. Or I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm pulling skiers. And again, I've only been there a couple of weeks. Right. And I feel like I'm already on notice and we're going down, you know, down the beach. I had a pretty good skier behind me. So I'm, I'm, well, I, I, was, I pulled a variety of skiers, but this thing came to a head when I had a pretty good skier behind me. For like five or six times I cycled through, there was a guy in this tiny little boat who was waving at me. And when I mean like a six or eight foot Zodiac. And every time you go by, like, hey, buddy, you know, and they wave and he waves back. And, and with every passage, he gets closer and closer into my path. And some of the times I only had like a beginner, a little level guy, so I wouldn't get down to him, but he was moving toward me. And he kept getting more and more in my path. And so he started to irritate me. And I'm like, what's this guy's deal? And finally, I had a, you know, a, a good skier. So I'm ripping, probably going the full 36. And I'm going down to him. And he's standing up in the boat, waving his arms at me. And at that point, I got close enough to see dude's a gendarme, right? French National Police. Mm-hmm. And he's got the little you know, hat on and the, the tan uniform. And on the front of the boat was this tiny little mast with a little teeny French frolic. French flag. And then I realized, uh oh, all right. So I pull over and the guy is screaming at me that, you know, he's been trying to pull me over for a half hour and I wouldn't stop. And I'm like, I got tiny little flag. How would I know? And he's like, you're under arrest. You know, I'm taking you back. And ultimately it's because we didn't have um, registration numbers on the boats. The hulls were kind of new. And then he was mad that, uh, that I didn't have an observer. So I got a I got a guest in the water. So it's like, hey, can I take him back? And I'll kind of he's like, no, you know, sweep him while you will follow me. And the boat goes like three miles an hour, right? Full speed. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The guest had to swim back. The guest had to get in the boat with me. Oh, okay, right? okay, okay, okay. Sorry. And I thought he, I thought he guy, said leave the guest in the water. Like, okay. Uh. Well, he was in the water while this oh, okay. guy's yelling at me. And so okay. finally he's like, you know, who's that all right? Hey, you're you're arrested and you're coming with me. And I was pointing at the club and I said, like, can you know that's where the information is? So he's like, follow me, right? <laughs> Moving at like five miles an hour. So I'm <laughs> so I idle back to the uh, you know to the club and, and I think he gets out of the dock and he he was sort of like this take me to your leader vibe, right? And he <laughs> went up and I think he aired out like Jacques and Michelle, you know, and I'm standing there like two weeks in, surely thinking I'm fired. But, you know, they, they kind of let it go. And this sounds and like I, a scene out of one of the Pink Panther movies. Yeah. Your sellers. Like, I, I would exactly be, think, I, I'd was, be thinking the club's playing an expensive gag on me. Like, I, I don't I know, know how you kept a straight face. I mean, I, well, I, I would have said this is obviously a prank. OK, and kept driving. But <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. He was like Dreyfus and he's standing up and he's reading the flag and he's doing these <laughs> giant waving motions in this <laughs> tiny little boat. I didn't know about animators and stuff at that point in time. I was thinking, oh, okay. you know, now, knowing oh, it, I would have been like, oh, they're, okay. they're, you know, they're, they're taking a joke. But at yeah, that yeah, point yeah. in time, I was serious. It's like, oh my God, man. And he's like, you're arrested. So. And then you're saying he's, he's driving as fa- he's driving as fast as the grand marshal at the Rose Bowl parade. Like the boat's hardly even moving. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> we had like a little three horse outboard, right? And he opened <laughs> okay. it up and then he's like, follow me. <laughs> so I'm in this you know, okay. ski boat, you know, hundred horse and oh I'm idling in by this guy. And he, yeah. That was fantastic. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. So uh, as Cancun comes to an end, it was, was part of your plan just to do three seasons. Like you probably could have stayed longer and went, ah, I got a degree from Berkeley. I should probably go now. Is that, is that the decision you made? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that it's at every point in time, you know, that you, you can't be a geo forever. And, uh, you know, I had a couple great seasons and it just, it, it, it became time to, you know, move on and rejoin life. I got lucky because I left and a week later the the, um, the club was destroyed by Hurricane Gilbert. That's right. So I got out just before that. Uh, wow. And yeah, that was that, right? That is lucky. Okay. <laughs> uh, is there any uh, people you like to mention, like people you worked with, you had a, you had a fun time working with, please, you know, mention them like any shout outs you want to do? Well, I mean, I mentioned a few that, you know, I mean, Michel Verdure was, uh, I mean, I, I think he was probably an exceptional chief because he was in a different spot, right? He, he was, it was kind of his swan, swan song. 
And then he had the humility to, you know, all these years later, join us and just kind of tell us all the backstory of, of, of what's going on. So, and then of course, you know, guys like Graham, who I mentioned was my chief of ski, you know, he really taught me how to do it right. And I, I do it like three times a week still, you know, all these weeks later, because, you know, it was kind of a life-changing thing. And then even like Daniel Lemichapui, who was, he didn't need to let me go, you know, every, you know, a day, a week or more to go and train and get certified, but it's the same kind of thing. While I was at Copper, I, I worked with the, the, the Vail Ski School and I got all that stuff done. And so I still coach ski racing now. And, and it, this, this all goes back to stuff that, that these guys at the time, you know, really instilled in you. And, and the beauty of being a GO is every morning, I remember I'd wake up either looking at my ski, my water ski, you know, when I'm coming out of the water at 6 a.m. or skiing powder in my snow ski, getting early turns because, you know, at Copper, the, the facility was right next to the American Flyer lift. So these guys were, um, you know, really helped shape what I continue to do today. And then again, yeah, the the people I went through, I won't go through a bunch of names, but the people I just went through um, and, and got together, you know, 35 years later at Martinique. And I know there's lots of geo reunions and stuff, um, but this was we like that, but close, intimate, small group, lots of time to talk and catch up. It really kind of brings all this stuff back to life. Nice. Now, what are the what are the three things you miss the most about Club Med? It could be in any order. I'm sure you've thought about this question. So yeah, no, I haven't. <laughs> okay, I, mean, I do. I do every day. Okay. Oh, do you really? Okay, of course, I do. Everyone at work says, "What are you doing? You're an idiot. Why are you here? You know, you had this adventure. This, what What are you doing here? They They, they can't fathom why I left. So. So obviously I know the three things I miss. I was just curious if there are two. Well, or three I'll, I'll tell you mine and then you got to tell me yours. Okay. Right? And sure. We'll see if we're on the same thing. Sure. I mean, I, I just mentioned it. Um, I did really, it, it, especially at Marnique, the biggest like uh, currency, like, if we could trade something, it was sleep because we, as I mentioned, I mean, I really wanted to do the ski thing. So we, I did all the ski shows and all that stuff. And then I learned the you know, other thing. And then it was always go to the disco and all that kind of thing. But every morning I remember waking up, like really getting my eyes open when I was getting pulled out of the water. And I, you know, after Graham kind of threw out my water ski and I got a guest to bring down a new one. But I remember every day being able to just shake the cobwebs out by getting pulled out of, your, out of the water on your ski. And if you like doing that, that was just the best or even in winter, right? Where you'd get a foot or two feet of new powder and you could kind of, uh, it's powder day, same thing. So that would probably be number one. Number two, maybe it sounds cheesy, was just all the huge number of people that you got to meet. And again, we are in those, um, in what I got to do, butter ski and snow ski, you end up spending quite a bit of time with people. It wasn't just like, hey, sign the thing, go out and get a, a windsurf board. It was we got to spend a lot of time with them, especially at Copper. You had the same people for a full week. So you just got exposed to tons of folks. I mean, unfortunately, there weren't cell phones and contact lists and all that. Um, my mistake was not taking more business cards. And you know, I was just young and stupid. And then um, I guess the, the third thing would just would absolutely have to be going to the disco. You're tired, but you're with your friends. You, you've done a good day's work and it's just time to have fun. And you had all your friends there and then a bunch of guests. And so there's three. Tell me yours. Oh, ours are wildly different. Now, the first <laughs> one the first one is not a joke. Everyone says, oh yeah, Greg, Greg, you miss the women. No, the first thing I miss is lunch. I'll tell you why. Because you never ever get a hot lunch ever again. I eat a cold sandwich every day of my life. So I miss okay. the hot lunch. Two, the ability, the ability to windsurf anywhere on a dime. The equipment's already on the beach. I don't have to address the sail. It's just there. It's windy. I go windsurfing, you know. You take it for granted when you leave because now, oh, God, I got to get the board. I got to bring it, put the board on the car. I got to go. Now I got just a sail. Put the, I got to put everything away. So the ability just if it's windy, I could go windsurfing or sailing or, or whatever. And then three would be just it's, you know, reason I stayed almost 10 years because I'm from Montreal. You know how cold it gets here. It's summer all the time. Right. So the smiles, everything goes summer. It's literally summer every day, which is my favorite season. So those are the three things I miss the most. And see, I, I realize you're in Montreal, maybe not a big fan of the weather, but not, I sort of look all, at it like, <laughs> like, to me, all of it kind of launched, a lot of it launched from my time in Quebec. That's my right. My time in Quebec, I learned the French. Right. The French opened up a whole bunch of doors. When it opened up these doors, it, I kind of got exposed to what I like doing. And and you mentioned that, oh, it's, I love to be able to just go, you know, I mean, pop a sail to a board, went out and do it. I kind of 
made my life so that I live next to a lake. I water ski all summer and I live like an hour away and I teach high school kids how to ski race. So that kind of stuff gets built at the club and then you can make the choice to make it part of your uh, every day. Oh, do you have a guest room there for me, Steve? Because it, yeah, like it sounds like you got absolutely. it all figured out. Uh, <laughs> you're living <Yeah>. my life. <laughs> all right, before I let you go, because you've been so generous with your time, am I forgetting to ask you anything, something you wanted to say? Uh, I don't want to let you go. And, and you know, but I know I know we did cover a lot, but, you know, if there's something uh, I forgot, please tell me now because. Yeah, uh, I, I think everybody's heard the stories enough, right? I mean, okay. <laughs> you know, really good times, really good people. It's I mean, how can you get any better? That's right. That is right. Could not say it better myself, Steve. Well, you really, once again, from the bottom of my heart, thanks you. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story with us today. Well, you know, th th thank you for doing this. And I say that very, uh, I, I did not know you were doing it when we got back from Martinique. Um, somebody shared a uh, one of your podcasts with uh, another guy that I worked with in the new Well Past the Club grant. And I listened to it and I was like, this is great. I mean, this guy's putting together a podcast so that you kind of remember and it, it it doesn't die. So thank you for doing that. Oh, no, my pleasure, man. Thanks for listening. Thank you very much. Well, everyone, that was Steve McLean from Napa Valley, and we'll see you all next week. Now, don't, don't hang up right away, Steve, but let's just say bye to everyone. Bye. Bye, everybody. Hands up, right?